0: If you look at the profile of what today is called, if you look, just Google search, grooming activities, it basically describes the superstar Rebbe in Yeshiva 30 years ago. That's what I tell them. I said, I did this, those things also. I took kids out for Slurpees. I would go for walks with kids. I would never do it today. You know, right. I used to, I didn't hug the kids, but I would, you know, put an arm around them. Every single thing that, that you call grooming activities is what a great Rebbe was.
1: I'm Scott Kahn, and this Is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeehouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. It sometimes seems as though the stream of child abuse allegations is never ending. There's certainly greater awareness now than there was in the past, but are we really doing everything possible to keep our children safe? Child safety advocate Rav Yaakov Horowitz says it's time for Child Safety 2.0. That is, we need to supplement what we might have done until now with added methods and better understanding and awareness. He talked with me about how predators groom entire communities along with their victims, about problems in communication between parents and children, even when parents tell their kids that they should report abuse to them, about barriers that allow abusers to hide in plain sight, the dangers of the charismatic teacher who's also the resident crazy character, and more, and also ways that we can overcome these problems. Before we begin, I want to make you aware of a very important initiative spearheaded by Rav Yoni Rosenzweig, whom I interviewed in episode 76. He started an organization called Magley Nefesh, the Center for Mental Health, Community, and Halacha which trains rabbis and rabbaniyot to deal with questions of mental health, halacha, and community. It offers a hotline. It's raising awareness around the world about mental health in order to get people the help and support they need. They're on a mission to end mental health stigma and suffering in our communities. In order to create a base of monthly donors who can contribute to the organization's amazing work, they started Yedid Nefesh, a passionate community of monthly givers on a mission to end mental health stigma and suffering in orthodoxy. The campaign is this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Let me tell you something. On this podcast, I often highlight problems that need solving in the Orthodox world. Well, here's a chance to actually solve a real problem. I strongly encourage you to join Yadid Nefesh as a monthly donor. By doing so, you will help them train Jewish community leaders, provide an address for those suffering, fight stigma, and raise awareness. Go to mnefesh.org slash Nefesh. That's M N. Efesh.org dot slash Yedid Nefesh, you can find the link in the description of the podcast. Here's an opportunity to really affect positive change in the Orthodox world. Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, the founding dean of Yeshiva Darchenom of Muncie, is an innovative educator, author, and child safety advocate. He published child safety books that are in 100,000 homes in three languages, as well as beginner Gemara and Chumash workbooks. Rabbi Horowitz conducts child abuse prevention and parenting workshops in Jewish communities around the world and received the prestigious 2008 Covenant Award in recognition of his contribution to Jewish education. Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, my good friend, it's so nice to have you back again on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast.
0: Oh, it's absolutely delightful. We had such a great time the last last two times we were on.
1: Absolutely. It's been too long. Rabbi Yaakov, I'm entering this podcast much more unprepared than I normally am for an interview you told me you have a new sheet, uh, Child Safety 2.0, a new way of looking at preventing child abuse. And you want to add some of the elements that you said are currently missing from much child abuse prevention. So how is that normally done? And then we can talk about what's changed.
0: Okay, sure. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to to jamming with you. (laughs) Um, I I wouldn't say missing child safety, what I call 1.0, you know, that the children are getting, thank God, in schools and in communities and in preschools and from the doctors and from the parents. It's fulsome. It's 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 a very it's really solid. It's good, it's research-based. It has all the information that children need. You know, the lessons that 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 you know, no, no secrets from parents, uh, good touching, bad touching. Your body belongs to you. Nobody has the right to make you feel uncomfortable. Come to your parents. Okay. That's absolutely perfect, appropriate, and really well done. It's 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 incredible to think that. Just 10 short years ago, this was considered a very radical thing to do, you know? So thankfully, that's become very mainstream. And, you know, I believe that kids are much safer today as a result. In fact, if you look at most of the scandals, unfortunately, that come forward, it's all old things that have been going on for years. You know, you, you, don't, you don't really find uh, situations that much that you hear that started in the last couple of years, although unfortunately, there are the exceptions that it doesn't come out for a long period of time. But the, the 2.0 thinking is that I think there are enhancements, okay, that, that should be implemented, understood first, and then thought about and become part of this bigger package. When I grew up, everybody was using instant coffee, okay? No, no one ordered a skinny macchiato or whatever it is, <laughs> right? So we have to up our game a little bit and, and understand that there are parts there, there are certain almost assumptions that are made, Uh, for example, that children communicate with parents. One of the things is, no no secret service, if you have anything, tell me, right? That's what we're telling our children. Of course. How many teenagers really talk to their parents about things that are uncomfortable? You're saying the problem
1: might be even communication in the first place. You're presupposing that there's communication going on. The lines might be closed though.
0: Exactly, exactly that one of the one of the high profile situations here in the States was uh, in one of the, w- the school handled it magnificently. There was a, there was a, an administrator in the school was, was setting up uh, phony communication. You, 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 remember, you heard about it? No, I haven't. You know, he was a, a, a school administrator was, was setting up uh, social media accounts, pretending to be a, an Orthodox girl. And they would send pictures to some of the boys. He was targeting the boys in his school. And it was really a horrible situation were sending pictures and then send me a picture back. And then gradually they would up the inappropriateness of the pictures. And sooner or later, the boys would get bugged out and they would say, oh, I uh, see you later. And they say, I'm going to post everything you sent me online.
1: The so administrator the camera, would say that
0: the administrator would say that posing as the girl. Now, how did he get caught? The kid went to the parents. Now I was thinking to myself, my God, wonderful parents, Could you imagine, Scott, that conversation? Just imagine if Scott, that conversation. You know, mom, dad, I've been sending pictures. I've been sending inappropriate pictures to a girl online. I need your help. That's not a conversation most kids would have with their parents. That's what I'm saying. And it was only, they were caught because one of the kids was comfortable talking to their parents. So that's like just a huge area about child safety. That's, it's almost assumed that now when you're speaking to four-year-old kids, it's easy. (laughs) That's far, you know, you teach little kids, but- those kids aren't going to be kids forever, and even younger children are made to feel very uncomfortable when it happens. It's very strange to them. I, I don't mean to be crude, but a lot of times, especially, they feel a sense of pleasure from this horrible situation, and they're confused, and it's very complicated. So that's one thing.
1: My co-host on another podcast, Intimate Judaism, Tali Rosenbaum, has
0: talked about arousal, but undesired arousal. It's completely possible. Exactly, right, exactly. So it's confusing to them. They feel so... so I mean, if you're listening, if you were, if you were putting odds in Vegas that the the average twelve uh, year old kid is going to be comfortable talking to his or her parents about that, you know, you get pretty pretty steep odds on that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then there's the whole area of barriers to understand um, why people don't report. How does Walder get away with it to 25 years or whatever the, that was? And there are barriers that we have to believing stories like this. There's, there's the halo effect, which, which we, you know, which we, uh, we, when we meet someone that we respect, we tend to give them the benefit of the doubt many times. There's the, the just world hypothesis it's called, that people want to believe that the world is a just place. We don't want to believe that we live in a world where people can do horrible things mm-hmm. like this. Right. And, and I, I saw, Rob Scott, some fascinating research a, a month or two ago that the just world hypothesis is more pronounced in communities of faith, all faiths. Really, yeah, it makes
1: sense. Well, it makes sense. You believe in a good was, world and a good God,
0: exactly. And you believe in what we call din vidayan, right? That there's right. a judge and there's justice. So it, it's more It's more difficult for people of faith to believe that that this stuff goes on,
1: especially if the person doing it is supposed to be a faith leader, a
0: person of faith, a faith leader, right? Exactly. So. When, it, what I'm saying is when they teach child, child safety education, there are components of this that we should know to broaden our understanding of what's going on. I don't know if you know, I started producing and releasing a, an under minute parenting clip every day. I've been doing it since June. So we're up to 250 already. I love it. I mean, I did it to engage with millennials and Generation Gen Z parents who aren't doing Facebook. <laughs> so I opened an Instagram account, and it was a very big life change for me to get into the world because you're laughing too much, Rob Scott. What's so I funny? think you should
1: open up a TikTok account. That's what I really want to yeah,
0: say. Not not yet, not yet. One <laughs> at a time. You know, but I, I realized that the majority of children today are being raised by that demographic, and I didn't understand them. And they don't know who I am. I don't get them. And I said, I got to get this. I studied a lot of research and I said that this is something, if I want to stay in the game, then I need to engage with them.
1: What other things are there that we need to overcome aside from, you said, communication and barriers? Are there other problems that we haven't necessarily addressed in the past? I
0: think those are the biggest ones. Those are the biggest ones. To understand the grooming process. I didn't mention that. Okay. That's, that's probably one of the huge ones to understand how these folks operate. Okay. How do they operate? What do they do? What's the MO? So as part of this child safety 2.0, I did some interviews this week, this, last week and this week I interviewed Shauna Aronson. I'm sure you know, Of course. A, to talk about situational awareness, all of these things were things I thought are necessary to think about. Situational awareness in the army, it says, you know, look around, you know where you are, uh, know where the dangers are. So she was fantastic. She spoke about what parents should know about that. I had, um, you know, we interviewed Dr. Dr. Solomon, Michael Solomon. He's a, a researcher and a thinker and a, a psychiatrist, one of the leaders and they wrote several books on, on child sexual abuse. And, and I, you know, I, we talked about grooming process and how they work. And he he taught, I mean, I learned things during the interview. You know, he was talking, this is fascinating. He was talking about an inverse pyramid, how the abusers start grooming the community first. Think of all You mean trying
1: to convince the community that they are a respectable person, a person that can be trusted?
0: Right, that's part. And that they're doing things that are a little different sometimes. To give them that flaws. that in other words i work one-on-one with kids and i i in addition to they want to earn their respect and they try to give themselves some leeway if something if they people see something they'll know that this is what they this is what we in other words
1: this person's totally respectable he's a little strange he does some things that are a little bit different but that's just who he is
0: he's a great guy and and by the way my number one recommendation for parents to read in terms of understanding the grooming process, is Malcolm Gladwell's magnificent article in New Yorker magazine. It's called In Plain View. It's a 5,500-word essay in New Yorker magazine. What that talks about is exactly the grooming process. And he he analyzed Penn State. That's when he wrote the piece. Mm -hmm. With Joe Paterno and that whole situation there. Jerry Sandusky. Sandusky. How did Sandusky get away with it? And one of the things that he said is Sandusky acted goofy. He would bullwhip, he would t- roll up like, like, a, like a teenager would do. He would do kooky things. And when he did strange things with children, like horseplay with them or other things like that, they said, that's just Jerry being Jerry.
1: Okay, Rav Yalkov, I have to ask you something and interrupt. I'm sorry. Please. Something which I've seen, and I'm not in any way casting aspersions on anyone in particular. If anyone has anyone in mind, that's not what I'm no. saying. So no. in yeshivot here in Israel... And I used to work in yeshivot. I used to run a yeshiva. Many, if not most yeshivot, have one or two rabbis who are the crazy guy. He does all sorts of weird stuff. And that's just who he is. And all the guys love him. How do we know? I realize I'm sort of getting off topic and focusing on this. How do we know when it's just the crazy character in the yeshiva who's wonderful versus a guy who's actually doing something sinister?
0: I asked Dr. Solomon just that. We've both been educators all our life. So, you know, we, both our ears perked up. I I, t- I asked them a better question. I said, if you look at the profile of what today is called, if you look just Google search grooming activities, it basically describes the superstar Rebbe in Yeshiva 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's what I told I said, I did this, those things also. I took kids out for Slurpees. I would go for walks with kids. I would never do it today. You know, right. I used to, I didn't hug the kids, but I would, you know, put an arm around them. Every single thing that, that you call grooming activities is what a great Rebbe was. I asked him that. So he said, if somebody, so if somebody says, I'm spending time with not alone. Not alone. Is that I mean, the key point? It can't ever be alone? It's partially alone. It's partially the fact that some of those grooming activities should not be done anymore. And I, I do workshops, Reb Scott, with staff. I do workshops with faculty about boundaries about establishing those boundaries and how those things have changed. And folks, my age, I'm 62. I think I have a couple of years on you.
1: I'm 51, a little bit. Big difference,
0: big difference. So 51, meaning if a Rebbe is 51 today, they started changing these things 10 years ago, 12 years ago, maybe in Israel a little bit later, but my generation of Rebbeim, we've done this on all our lives. I call it, they don't get the memo. You know, they, they didn't get the memo. And sometimes that causes incredible problems because they're teaching parents of Generation Z kids who, who grew up with this. And, the parents and they know are, to look
1: out for it. And Now they're going to say that guy's acting like a groomer.
0: And I, t- I tell the Rebbe, I said, you're playing, you're playing with your lives.
1: That leads to another question of Yaakov. And once again, I'm sorry to fixate on this point. By the but- way,
0: I would fit this profile. <laughs> Spends time with children, works with kids at risk. I mean, bang, 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 bang. I did a workshop with Dr. Pelko. It's a woman got on during Q&A. Uh, after the whole of the thing, she says, how can I trust you and Dr. palkowitz Okay, what's the answer? So, and she apologized 12 times. I said, don't apologize. That's what you're supposed to ask. So I said, if trust means you think I'm an ethical person, trust me. If trust means you send your 12-year-old daughter in the car with me, don't trust me. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing bar mitzvah lessons with your son or tutoring your son alone, don't trust me. That's the answer.
1: Here's another question for you about grooming. When you describe this inverse pyramid, is a person who's grooming the kids Does he even necessarily know that he's doing that? I'm sure there are cases where the person does. Is it always true? Or is it times that a person is doing the things that make him, so to speak, a good rabbi or whatever, and then falls into this?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the abusers.
1: I meant the, I mean the abuser. I mean the abuser.
0: They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And part of the reason that they do this is they're preparing themselves. They're preparing their defense in advance. They're preparing their defense, not only if they get caught, but if people notice things. If I don't, I don't know the details of Wilder at all, but I guarantee you that there were a lot of really weird things that he was doing in terms of boundaries, in terms of yichud. He, he, we know he he seduced married women. Like, how did he get away with that? You know, what's he doing having single? You know, uh, I would never meet with a woman in hundred years. I would not meet with a woman alone. So it, it's a question of boundaries. It's a question of noticing these things. And it's a question of being self-aware. That's the 2.0, that's exactly what Scott, this is what I have in mind. The fact to realize that 30, 40% of abusers are family members. So when you come into Pesach, they don't, this is not part of the regular package 1.0. You're coming to Pesach I say, thank God it's only family. Keep your eyes open folks.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that number yesterday. You said that Dr. Solomon said that 40% of abusers are family members. I found that shocking.
0: Extended family members. 10% it's still shocking. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. That's the theory of the just world. Now, feel it, feel it on you, Rev. Scott. Feel this. Own it. Right? You say, I don't want to believe that family members can do this. I don't want to believe that grandparents, God forbid, are, are assaulting their granddaughters. You know? I'm doing a talk with Dr. Aviva Goldstein Wednesday as part of the 2.0 series, you know what the title is? And I decided to go polite, but the title is sheltered is wonderful, naive is dangerous with teenage girls and preteen girls. Um, And it's everything, you're setting up your house, you're setting up your house, you have company, what's your plan with your daughters? Do they have locks on their bedrooms? Do they lock their rooms at night? If you're building a new home or if you're moving to a place, do you have a place where the guests sleep in a, in a secluded area of the, of the... I know in Israel it's harder because the places are smaller and you have to decide whether you should have guests at home then, whether your bro, your sons should bring their friends over for Shabbos if you have grown girls at home and they don't have their own bathroom in their own area like that. I was a scholar in residence in Edison, New Jersey two weeks ago. I never go to a home if I don't have a private bathroom. I don't share a bathroom with anyone, anyone ever, ever, ever. That was a you know, a boundary that that my wife and I decided. We talk about it all the time because you know you get you get emotionally involved, you're trying to help people, and sometimes you don't realize you're putting yourself in a situation that you know it it could get uncomfortable. So we have to think differently. Right. You said it, you don't believe with the with the percentages. This is research. This isn't, you know, Yankee Haro, it's just picking stuff out of his head. Dr. Solomon did research on this.
1: I remember you told me a couple of years ago when we first talked about this, how I think you were saying with your own granddaughters, you say, if you don't like something I'm doing, if you don't want me to touch you, it's such a strange thing. Don't want to touch Zadie, but but that's how it works. You have to respect that. It's happy. give Zadie a kiss. No, it doesn't work like that. And you taught
0: me that. Right, right so I right so I say, it's not and that's not only touching, I give them rides. I give them horse. I make a fool out of myself. You'll, you'll see, you make <laughs> the moron out of yourself like everybody else. I already do. So I read, I read the kids. With, look, I, ne- I read the kids' bedtime stories, right? Always on top of the covers and always with space, you know, always, all the years. But even, even let's say, let's say I'm horse playing with the kids. You know, I always say, if, if you don't like, if any Zaidi does anything that you're not comfortable with, please tell me and I'll stop right away. And they've said lots of different things. Nothing. Uh, the first time a grandchild of mine told it to me was uh, I was reading The Three Little Pigs. And when my kids were young, I used to go huff and puff and I would blow on the kids. you know, Right. And blow the hair around, you know. And I will re- never forget it. He was three years old. It was the night of Shavuos. And I, I before I went to shul, I wanted to read him a good night story. And I had read him the night before, and he said, "Zaidi, don't I don't like when you blow on my face." He told me I could say, "I, I could tell you if I don't like it." Mm-hmm. And wow. I tell, so it's it, yeah, so it's innocent, great it's nothing. And what a fantastic message that I'm modeling for him—that not only with other people, even me, who loves you. I'm a grandfather. I'm part of your family. It's okay. Tell me something you don't like, and I, on a dime, I'll stop right away. You know, I have
1: a similar story, but almost the flip side of it was my youngest daughter her name is Batheva and she's 12 now and only a couple years ago I realized that there was a problem in the way that we play you know again horseplay fooling around and if she if let's say I'm tickling her or whatever it might be she would often say to me no and she would say no as a joke I realized eventually I said you know what Batheva we have to change the way we're doing this if you say no I am going to stop that's it even to this day, sometimes if we're, and she'll say no, and she'll say, oh, no, I, I meant, I said, Sheva, when you no, say no, say that's no. It. it, it's that's over, it. we're done. Right? And it's almost and, the flip and, side of what you just said.
0: And I, and I just started taking questions on Instagram. Like people write, send me a message under a hundred words and I respond in an under a minute clip. And someone said, to, she go, I go to my, 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 my daughter's complaining that my grandfather, my, my father in law gives uh, sloppy kisses, you know, and she doesn't like it. And, you know, we were telling you, come on, it's Zadie, don't make him feel bad, whatever. I said, tell him no. If he doesn't stop, don't go to the house. You tell him, we can't go to the house. This is different. We're teaching the children. I know you don't mean anything, God forbid. And I know, but if if she can't say no to you, in other words, if she tells her parents, Zadie's making me uncomfortable. And we take her back to that situation, then... There's no child safety. You mentioned communication. You
1: mentioned barriers, Rabbi Yakov. You mentioned grooming. These are all things that are problematic behaviors that are reasons that child safety teaching doesn't necessarily work or education doesn't work. So in Child Safety 2.0, how do we make sure that or do our best to keep people safe? If kids aren't communicating with their parents or the barriers are up to prevent us from being able to see it, how do we overcome those barriers or that gap in communication?
0: Be mindful about it. It's just that, that be mindful. I, I started to tell you about the clips. I do, I do a minute, I, I do a under a minute club a day. This week, the topic is, tell me anything. It's at Bright Beginnings Forum. It's called, tell me anything. That's the topic of the week. And I'm going through what, what last week was cognitive dissonance to talk about the, the other things, You know the, the theory of the just world, to, to break that cognitive. In other words, look, you and I know about this. We talked about it. You just said, I don't believe that it's 10%, or that it's 40% in the family, right? Dr. Michael, Michael Solomon is telling you that it is. Because, and I, I got news for you. I'm telling you about it and I don't believe, part of me doesn't believe it. I have a hard time like even saying this in public, but we know that that's the fact. So how do you, how do you overcome it? You learn about it, you study it, it becomes part of your thinking And at least you have a hope that when it hits you, you can recognize it. That's the important part.
1: But what about the communication issue? You mentioned before that kids often aren't talking to their parents. It's one thing to say you can tell me anything, but let's use the example you mentioned before. That child or teenager who went to his parents when the administrator was pretending he was a girl in school or a girl outside of school, most kids wouldn't have that ability. That I'm not going to call it strength of character. I'm not sure what to call it. That this they're too embarrassed, and for understandable reasons, that's not a matter of the way I think. That's a matter of my kids just not going to tell me that.
0: I do. I do a one-hour class called "Tell Me Anything." It, there, there are techniques. There's some research on it, but one way of doing it anecdotally is just think of. Let's you and I quickly do this. So, Scott. Why would, okay. I'm your dad. You did something wrong. You, you stole money from a friend and you want to figure out how to make it right. Are you, okay. What do you do now? Why would you not tell me? Just list the reasons you got the pen and paper. You take your notes. Go, go ahead. I'm going to get in trouble. One, two, you're going to get go mad on, at me
1: them. and I'm going to disappoint you. And I hate disappointing my dad.
0: Two, go ahead. There's going to be
1: all sorts of consequences beyond Three. what I can imagine.
0: Right. I might not keep your confidentiality. If it's something that you did with some friends, right? These are the things. One at a time, that's the answer. You got to eliminate the barrier. It's as simple and as complicated as that. So that's what I do during the workshops. I tell the people, I, do, uh, um, I tell the folks, look, these are the barriers. Why don't you self-identify, forget Yankee. You, just what you did now. And then I'll say to yourself, okay, you want to get rid of the barriers? What did you tell me? Go ahead. You said that you don't want to be, you don't, you don't, don't want to get punished. You say, look, anything you tell me, I won't punish you for. We'll talk about it. But I'm not going to do a classical punishment. Yes, I'll be disappointed, but I love you, and I want to be part of your life, and I want to be a hands-on parent. And I'd be much more disappointed if you didn't tell me. That's what my wife and I told the kids. Okay, and just any other barrier that comes your way, just think about what what it is. How confidentiality? If you tell me and ask me not to tell anyone, if no one's life's in danger, I'll keep I'll keep it confidential. My wife and I actually even. When the kids were growing up, we told the kids, we just thought of it one day. We told the kids that they can tell one of us and ask that one not to tell the other. And, and we, we, we told, we gave them our word that we would keep that confidentiality. And we did. And they did tell us many, many, many times. In fact, it was unusual that they told us both. Hmm. So things that required a, a strong stomach lining, they told me usually because <laughs> of the work. I You know I promise you, because they knew I don't scare easily. And most of the other stuff they tell my wife, because she spent incredible amounts of time with them. She's a great mother, so they told her.
1: What you're saying now reminds me a bit of what you said about Purim—the idea of when kids go out, the no questions asked. If you are in trouble, you need a ride. I'm not going to ask any questions. I will come pick you up because the consequence of saying yes, I'm going to ask questions, means they won't call you. In Chas Vashal, and Chas it could be in a drunk driving accident or who knows what.
0: I know kids. I know kids who really uh, because they couldn't come home. They were afraid to come home. They, they were they're drunk. They were sleeping, on, you know, and they're, they're, they have six hours. Where are they going to go? Imagine, per night, it's one in the morning, or any night, kid goes to Shalom Zacher, gets smashed. Who's he going to tell? Imagine what they do. Think about what they would do if they can't come home. And, and people, by the way, I tell what I tell parents to sell the kids. You tell them, we're not going to talk about it for 48 hours, for 24 hours, for 12 hours. You go to sleep, sweetheart, we'll talk in the morning. It's okay. We'll have discussions about it. We'll talk about strategies to stop it from happening. But I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to talk to you about it right away. Just come home, sweetheart. You know what the line is? Your life is more important than our rules. That's, that, that's really the message. We give you rules. You know what we want you to do. I had the opportunity. I mentioned that I would love to meet those parents. And someone said the parents would, would be, be glad to meet with you. I said, no, 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 no. no, no. You know, they were thinking of offering the parents the opportunity. I said, no, no, no. But, but you know what those best practices are. You know that they, they thought about, you know, excellence does, you don't meander your way to excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, they thought, I'm sure that they thought about it and they thought about those barriers. And they said, we want this type of relationship with our children and we're going to do something about it. This concept of 2.0, again, it's not that anything's missing in 1.0, but 1.0 is a basic, that's the ground level, that's the minimum. But there's, so much more that needs to be learned. And as we're discussing these four, five, six things, the questions that you bring up bring up other questions, right? And bring up other like this, if for example, with talking to children. So as I see it, this is the next step. Chaim Walder would not have been, st- would probably not have been stopped with 1.0 stuff. Possibly not, because he was grooming the kids, and he was identifying which ones aren't talking to their parents. You know, so the, the And by the way, we didn't even talk about protocols. That's one of the things, Doctor Solomon. I asked Doctor Solomon. What do you mean by
1: protocols? In what sense?
0: Protocols means you you mentioned about the yeshiv the rabbi, that you know the goofy Rebbe in yeshiv, the goofy rebbi in yeshivah. The goofy rebbi, right? The character. Protocols means that institutions talk about this in advance and. Talk about what you could or can't do. And everybody knows that becomes part of the rule book. Go to Young Israel of Woodmere's website. Dr. Solomon actually did it. I mentioned, I interviewed Dr. Solomon because I, I know about Young Israel of Woodmere's work in this. They had, a, eight years ago already, they did the protocols. So can I, uh, where are my mitzvah lessons done? Um, if a child is in shul, where do they go during Kriya Satora, during Torah reading? Where do they go? Uh, are they allowed to be unsupervised? show. What, what, what's the rule for uh, you know, youth leaders? What are they supposed to do or don't do with the kids? If you don't have these guidelines, either an innocent person is going to be accused of something or a lot of crazy, inappropriate, dangerous or abusive activity is going to go on because he's slipping between the cracks. Protocols would have caught Walder, I believe. If B'nai Brak had protocols that... Women don't go see men, you know, in, in an office alone, and children don't go to to, to therapists uh, alone. I believe I believe it would he, he would have had to stop or curtail or been caught. I well, believe. that's where
1: a lot of what you're saying now they sort of go up against each other because the protocols protect for the regular person, but the kooky rabbi. Well, he's he's fine because that's just what he does. He's a little bit he's just a so little bit it, different.
0: So if he's, if, he's making, if he's rolling his eyes and making funny voices, that's okay. But if he's taking kids in his car out for Slurpees, then it's not okay. So it's not, in the protocols, you can, make, roll, you can roll your eyes and make goofy jokes and mimic the Rosh Hashiva's mustache to get a laugh. But it was a very big scandal in Israel. Remember a few years ago, there was a, someone who owned, had four seminaries and he, was, he, he sold the you know, whatever. He was exposed. I spoke to some of the folks in the schools there he was picking up girls one o'clock in the morning from seminary and taking them out for whatever, or whatever it is. And I asked like, Whoa, how, how did this happen? You know, people say that's what he does.
1: That's what he does. Right. And look
0: how effective he is. Look how he turns the kids around. That's what they say. I have a picture of Nehemiah Weberman. Remember that one? Yes. In, yes, of course. In Williamsburg. Sitting on a bar, two bar stools having an ice cream with a 16 year old girl. Nechem Weberman. Imagine if Yankee Horowitz did that. Imagine if I waltzed, waltzed into Williamsburg and I sat <laughs> down with a local girl. But he was the dream worker. I mean, you look, you know, Reb Scott, when you take this body of knowledge, this 2.0 body of knowledge, and you analyze all the high profile cases, it's check, 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 check. Yeah, no,
1: I see that. I mean, what also bothers me is, and I admit this goes beyond simple matters of child abuse in the most overt sense, but you said something before, he's the dream worker, he's the miracle worker. There are teachers that even if it's not a matter of abuse, and maybe I'm getting off topic here, but even when it's not a matter of abuse, there are teachers who do strange things, and some people get hurt. It may not be sexual abuse, but they get hurt emotionally. Right. And people say, yeah, but look at all the good that his method has done for other people. And viscerally, I say that can't be. You can't sacrifice one kid's emotional well-being for the 99 kids or Makarev. I just can't accept that,
0: even though I hear Whether, that all the time. Right. right. Whether you talk to them about how they're a virus and they're going to burn in hell for this or you know, mm-hmm. other things like that. But I assume that's what you're talking about. Yes, things like that and and, right. and the like. or Or replacing parents. Teaching children that, you know, this whole mindset that you go off to yeshiva. And um, I always tell parents be very aware, very wary of teachers who try to drive a wedge between you and the, and, the, and, the, and the children. I always tell my students, you talk to your parents, come back, we'll talk to you. Did you speak to your parents about this? I, I never gave high school advice unless parents looked at three schools themselves. That was the rule. Because mm-hmm. I told them, this is your, I, you know, I promise you I used to say this in public. I said, no one says Kaddish for the Manal. <laughs> I, promise you, I, I promise you I used to say this in public. I would, tell the, I would tell the parents, look, your kids, you're used to me, that I work with you and I don't do end runs about you. Be wary in the future. Don't send your children to places where the, the head becomes. Replace you know, the
1: parents in the kids' lives. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. If you see that, run for the hills. I, told, I used to tell them that. You know, so it's all look, Rev. Scott. If we don't change our practice, we're going to keep having these tragedies.
1: I'm agreeing with you completely. I obviously I'm on the same page. I just you mentioned before the rabbis or the administrators who haven't gotten the memo. And part of the problem is not just that they haven't gotten the memo. It's that so the memo parent- wasn't sent. The mem- First of all, the memo wasn't sent. And also, let's say you're one of these administrators who does miracle work. He's a dream worker for 90 percent of the kids. So that means that 90 percent of the parents are saying this guy's a miracle worker and it just moves in a cycle. It doesn't change. It's a cash 22. Right? You can't get out of it.
0: Right. So look, I, I, we have to be more sophisticated. What I'm doing next, I'm doing a talk. My talk, I'm interviewing them on different talks. Um, My talk is called abuse rates are not the same in all communities, how safe is yours? And I know I'm gonna get a lot of heat. You know what I'm doing Rip Scott? I'm making a form for parents, a self-analysis of how safe your community is. And I'm putting it all out there so that parents can have the information. The way i see it look it's subjective it's yankee harowitz wrote it but it'll i think it'll ring true to people and some i think some communities will do very well and some won't and I, i'm sure i'm gonna get a lot of pushback i don't care i really don't care at this stage of my life i i work with everybody you know i'm not rude to anyone i'm a collaborative person but at this stage of my life i'm much more concerned about things i don't say that i should maybe
1: that's why you moved to deerfield beach to get out of dodge <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, in two thousand seven, in two thousand seven, I was very, very concerned that parents were sending kids to Israel that weren't ready to go.
1: You mean after high school,
0: or during high school, like for kids who were really out of control. In other words, till the late nineties, there were no the people who went to Eretz Israel were staging. There were no schools for at-risk kids in Israel. Then. There was a lot of talk about at-risk kids. They started opening more programs. And, and everybody knew someone who went to Israel on drugs and came back with his sisters out. So when parents had He stuff, might still
1: be on drugs, but sisters are out.
0: <laughs> so, touche. A few of us in the field, we, we talked to each other and we started, I said, look, let's talk about it. We spoke about it. We wrote, I wrote articles. And please don't send me because zero. It, it was absolutely, totally ineffective. I, I was a total loser. I did not do my job. I wasn't able, I wasn't able, I was not successful in convincing anyone because parents were under stress and they saw it. So Horowitz says, no, he's a worry, worry. He thinks so, you know. So after thinking about it a long time, I, I made a chart, I made a, a, a self-assessment sheet. And, and I, I said, my son is 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So the first one was five points. The last one was zero points. It was a risk assessment. Mm-hmm, okay. My son, my son uh, is, is not learning at all. You know, he's a very poor learner all the way at the bottom to a great learner. My son rejects authority, you know, he's okay with authority, but he doesn't like it. Average. I, I probably 10 things I put down there. Um, learning disabilities. Do they, my son has hobbies is better than if he doesn't have hobbies. If he has vices, there were 10 things and I said, you add this up yourself. Leave me out of this. I'm giving you what I, the way I would assess this. I, I cannot tell you how effective it was. Much more effective than dozens of things I ever wrote about this subject. It's not
1: about someone telling them what to do. It's when they can tell themselves and see themselves and assess it themselves. That's when the effectiveness kicks I'm in. And I'm doing
0: the exact same thing for child safety. Does your child's school have protocols? Do abusers, are abusers reported to the authorities? Do abusers get professional help? Are victims comfortable coming forward? You know, stuff like that. And, and I'm going to list overall factors. Do children go to the mikvah unattended? Are um, kids hitchhiking? You know, I, I know in Israel it's a bit different. In Israel it's a little bit different, right? In Muncie they're hitchhiking all the time. And, and I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for 15 years about it. In, in If you go to a, an average community that doesn't do this, if a, an adult pulls over to the curb and a, a kid gets into the car, they immediately call the police, right? If you see a kid on the corner, you go you're driving in Wichita, Kansas, and there's a kid hanging on the corner and an adult pulls over and the kid goes in. Immediately, they call the police, they put on an Amber Alert. In Muncie, nobody does anything because that's what they do. And I went to the police chief. I said, why aren't you charging the people. He says your rabbis will kill me. He didn't say this. I heard this from a police chief in a different municipality. I asked him a question. He says, look, we can't love your kids more than you do. I promise you. We can't love your kids more than you do.
1: That's an indictment.
0: I got this same thing with the drugs. I I went to them and begged them to arrest the firm drug dealers. A guy in in Brooklyn told it to me. He said, we said we pick up the guys. And I started writing about it in 1998. I went to the Mayatzis Siskedali Authority. They told me that they're right to and we have to report them to the police. I went to the police after. I said, "Why are not you picking up the kids? He said, Rabbi, we pick up the kids. Before we get to the precinct, one of your rabbis is calling us and saying he's the son of so-and-so. Please let him out. So he said, come on, you got to want this. We're here to police what you want, what you want, what you want. We can't do more than we, he said, we can't love the kids more than you do. That's terrible. That's cool. I'm writing Mama Lush, very politely. This is a very big step for me, Scott. I, thought about, Scott. I thought about this a very long time. I've been wanting to do this for about 10 years to give, let the parents know what I feel, how I feel. And, and they could ignore me. They could say, what's is whatever. But I feel an responsibility to get it. I'm actually putting together an Excel spreadsheet that I can send it to parents so they can make. I'm, ha- I'm not good at this. I'm getting somebody to do it now. So you can assign points for it. And it adds, so it adds up to 100. And you can see where, where your community is going. I'm telling you again, I'm not, it's not going to make me popular in certain places, but I don't care.
1: Rabbi Yaakov, I have two more questions before we go. The first one is something you told me yesterday. You mentioned in a WhatsApp voice note that Pesach is a very high-risk time. That's your quote, a very high-risk time. Why is Pesach of all times a high-risk time? Is it simply because there are a lot of family members over and the 40% number again, or is it something
0: else? Well, ju- think of it this way. You have a 10-year-old daughter, right? She goes to school, comes home. On the back of an envelope, how many adults and how many, let's say, older children does she have contact with in a regular school week?
1: Very few. Parents and teachers, that's really it.
0: And what percentage of that time is she in the supervised setting?
1: She's almost entirely structured.
0: Now, do one day of Pesach Ask the same question dozens of times more people and totally unstructured time. And just think of the Pesach say the night in a hotel program or in a family. You have a large extended family, right? The kids are sleeping in four different houses by neighbors. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear you, right? It makes sense. It's, it's a little bit scary or a lot scary,
1: but it makes sense. I'd rather,
0: I'd rather pe- people be concerned now than horrified later.
1: That's for sure. And my final question is, if people want to learn more about Child Safety 2.0 to get some of the materials you're talking about, whether the checklist, the self-assessment, or anything else, some of your books, how can they be in contact with you? How can they find right. So
0: that? The best, right. So the best place, uh, I, I do almost most of the things I do on Instagram. It's at Yaakov Horowitz. I do daily parenting clips on at Bright Beginnings Forum on Instagram. I do have, I'm at, at Yaakov Horowitz on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Our clips are available through a WhatsApp group. On the clips, you can, you can message 845-540-2414. Um, and you get our clips every day. I have a YouTube channel at Jakob Horowitz. And I, you can subscribe to, and I have an email list. That, that, my stuff is mostly on, on social media now and you know we also have a special we're doing a program now to try to get a child safety book in every home people can go to childsafetybook.org for all the information we're, we're doing a, a huge deal with art scroll that art scroll our partner on the english book um we're giving it out We're giving the book at five dollars a book with free shipping in the continental us for orders of over 100 books we have an amazon page um, and we have it in Israel also. You can uh, the, on that site we, we set, we're selling the book in Israel for ten shekel now for bulk orders. You can contact Stuart Schnee and at that site um, childsafetybook.org. And if anybody wants to join my email list, why don't you? Do, there's a message place there. You can go to childsafetybook.org and send a message. I'd like to join Rabbi Harowitz's email list. That's probably the easiest way that you can get to um, you know to get to all of this content. And I just. Parents, keep your eyes open. That's all. Just keep learning. With, with wisdom comes power. The title of the series is The More You Know, The Safer They'll Be.
1: Well, Vyakov I have to say, I have very mixed feelings about talking with you because every time I talk with you, we talk about very scary and, I shouldn't say every time, we also talked about learning Gubar, which was lovely. But when we talk about these issues, we talk about very scary issues that are not fun to talk about. But on the other hand, I love talking with you. So it is a pleasure talking with you regardless. And I really appreciate your coming on the podcast today.
0: A pleasure, real pleasure. Of Scott, be well. A good given. Have a chakashev Take care. Thank you very much. I hope everybody found it thought-provoking.
1: Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more you'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, time, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. on JewishCoffeeHouse.com.